Agenda is back this week with everything you ever wanted to know about the government's economic strategy, last week's government conference and how the House of Keys has fared during the last 12 months. Lots to talk about and who better to help us understand the issues but Alistair Ramsey. It's a little while since uh, we've uh, caught up Alistair mm. and actually just over 12 months ago we were we were rattling through uh, discussing the forthcoming, as it was then, election. Mm. Uh, so 12 months in, um, how would you say the, the current crop in the House of Keys are, are, are faring? I think they're. I think they're working hard. Um, there's quite a lot of energy, quite a lot of passion around this administration. They've had obviously some very unusual circumstances to deal with, emerging from COVID, and then just to go straight in, almost straight into the a massive cost of living crisis caused by the war in Ukraine. So they've been sailing in some very stormy seas. Um, but I think they, they're making some headway, if I could use those clichés. It, it, it occurred to me as I, I was listening, uh, and we will come on to talk about the, the government conference, but as I was listening to various comments about, uh, oh, well, and of course, extraordinary circumstances, but we're, we're battling through and this and that, uh, is this not a mindset that government has got itself into, that anything out of the ordinary or unusual that comes along... Uh, really, since the the two hundred million hit on on VAT, um, what's that now? Uh, nearly fifteen years ago. Uh, since then, there has been one crisis or another to to use as a, as a convenient excuse for government perhaps not delivering on on its original plans. Yes, I'd I'd say that was a particularly cynical take on it. Um, yes, that they have been almost in crisis mode. Um, in a permanent state, haven't they? But these, I mean, the, the COVID crisis was in a different league and the energy costs at the moment are, you know, unprecedented, well, certainly for a very long time. So so I, I think there there is a there are genuine emergencies out there that they've had to deal with. And is this, though, just a, the shape of the political world that uh, we need to get familiar with? Um, you know, have things changed so much in the world that the level of stability that perhaps we've been used to for hmm. a generation before is no longer there. I think it means that you can't take things for granted anymore, but equally it opens up the opportunities for, for radical new approaches to, to old problems. Um, and one example of that is the economic strategy, which I guess we'll be talking about. So, so then, in in terms of the the, the newly electors, as as they were a year ago, House mm. of Keys, uh, are there any particular um, members that you think are, are are shining at the moment? Any any surprises in terms of those elected? Uh, any any people that you thought may have been duds that, that are, are impressing, or, or or vice versa? Well, that is a tricky question. Um, as usual. Uh, Everyone's so keen to get on with the job and be seen to be doing stuff and, and are taking on their responsibilities that most people get in some way or other part of the government machine. So there have been very few people who are standing on the sidelines and just asking questions. And in that respect, I think Jason Morehouse is one of those who is prepared to ask questions, um, hasn't got too involved in the kind of machinery of government 
Um, and some people might criticise him for that, but I do think that's a valuable role. Not necessarily throwing bricks, but just asking the kind of awkward questions, sometimes the simple questions that the ordinary person in the street might want to ask. And, and of course, uh, Jason... Um turned down the opportunity to become part of government uh, at an early stage mm. in, in the, uh, uh, the the proceedings and apparently hasn't been asked <laughs> since whether he would like to take any role uh, oh. on and, and presumably he hasn't gone looking. So. No, maybe he's not regarded as a team player. Mm, maybe. Mm. And, and interestingly, of course, uh, this week, uh, or the week just gone, uh, Claire Christian announced that she was stepping back from some of the the busyness that she had been yeah. engaged with over the course of the that was interesting, months. and of course that was coincided with the ministerial reshuffle, and of course there'll be speculation there that maybe she didn't get a ministerial role or whatever. But I, I don't know what the truth about that is. Yeah, and and certainly she said to Manx Radio that uh, this was purely a, a personal circumstance right. thing, um, and and I suppose if if um, you know in in the new system that we have. There's no particular financial incentive to be engaged with government in the ways that there the, the was uh, previously. You know, members get paid a, a, a flat rate mm. whether they choose to take on two or three departments uh, and, and chairs of boards and all, all these other things or whether they choose to, do, uh, to, to have no uh, direct uh, government engagement. Yes, there isn't the financial incentive to be part of the of the kind of government team anymore. But I think people instinctively want to kind of take on roles. They want to take on responsibilities. And I think a lot of people, perhaps most members, ultimately would want to be a minister. And if you want to be a minister, you have to kind of show willing, I guess. And, and it is fair to say that uh, council of ministers holds the vast majority of the power. Um, certainly, yeah. in my experience, I don't know you. With, with yes, I, I think so. Yeah, and they still have that 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 gift of, of of appointment and and that gift of promotion. And people want to be promoted. They want to take responsibility, and they want to be seen to be taking responsibility. So, so in terms of the performance, then, um, both in terms of of Timwald, uh, House of Keys, and and uh, government, um, how do you think they've they've actually done over the past twelve months? Uh, would you have expected more, or have well, have they been uh, reasonable in in taking their time to to think and plan? I mean, every, every new administration comes in with a blank sheet of paper because of the nature of our politics. They don't come in with, with, with a roadmap of where they want to go. They have to work that out. So I must say I was struggling for the first year to see where they were going. Um, I didn't get much of a clue from the island plan, to be honest with you. Um, but then with this economic strategy, they have come forward with a very radical, very ambitious agenda for the future, um, which is, I think, pretty clear and, and also very controversial. And I was surprised at that. Yes, and, and in terms of that, I mean, a, a lot of, of what's in there is political motherhood and apple pie in, oh, yeah. in, in that everyone, ev every government there's ever been would want stable public finances mm. and uh, it's not an unusual ambition for government to want there to be a thriving um, economy and uh, to engage with the private sector and, and all, all, mm. all these sorts of things. The thing that perhaps is, is 
most controversial uh, in, in relation to the strategy is this very clear and very strong ambition that to achieve all the things that government has set out in the political motherhood and apple pie mm. parts of this, uh, they want to see a 15,000 increase in population by 2037. Uh, and that is quite a, a bold it step. Is. And uh, to my knowledge, no previous government has actually set a target like that. People have talked about it and people have talked about increasing the economically active population. But I think politicians knew that the prospect of a big increase in population would be controversial. So in the past, they've shied away from it. It was also seen as a kind of byproduct of economic success that your population might increase. But I, to my knowledge, this is the first time a government has set this almost as an end in itself. And I think that's brave, to put it mildly. Yes. Uh, and and the, the, I suppose the, 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 the surprise to me... Um, because I don't think I, th I think anyone who who follows uh, the the, the uh, Manx politics to any any reasonable extent, and and anyone who's listened to Paul Crane, um, mm. uh, is Paul's constant message is this imbalance between the economically active mm. and the economically inactive part of the population. Uh, you know, it is clear that we are get, having fewer and fewer people. In, in employment to pay for a growing number of people, whether they be retired or young people still at school or, or, or nursery or wherever. Um, and that imbalance is growing and is, in, it is unsustainable. So something has to change. Um, so uh, it, it's not an unsurprising then um, result that government thinks actually the only way we're going to do this is by shipping a load of economically active people into the island. Yeah, I mean, it is a real and fundamental issue. Um, and such is the nature of our politics that, you know, this has all come as a, kind of as a bit of a surprise to, you know, in terms of the public agenda. It's the sort of thing that should have been at the heart of the general election campaign a year ago. It's about the future of our island. How do we want it to look? You know, what type of place do we want it to be? And yet we're having this kind of fundamental national debate a year after the election. But I guess that's due to the lack of party politics. I mean, you could almost have a political party coalescing around this. You know, they could call themselves the progressive party or something. And it's a strange mixture of kind of economic expansion, but also very strong public sector elements. I mean... One of the other things that's quite radical and controversial is that they are looking at companies paying tax, more companies paying tax. Now, that used to be a no-no not, not long ago, but they're looking at the end of the zero rate. Quite how and when is a different matter, but, you know, they, they're actually, con you know, that, that's now conceivable in a way that it wasn't before. You're listening to political commentator Alistair Ramsey with me, Phil Gorn. The statement the Treasury Minister makes is that we need to broaden the tax base. At the moment, it's primarily uh, individuals paying taxation, and we need to broaden that tax base. Yeah. Um, of course, they do have a, a massive helping hand in that internationally, there is a strong move to get rid of uh, zero-rated uh, uh, companies. So so that, that it's not like they're, they're doing this 
um, as a, a bold initiative of the Isle of Man, uh, that this will be a, a combined effort of, of the Crown Dependencies, Jersey, Guernsey and the Isle of Man. They will jump at the same time. And only if the international community is 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 in, yeah. ensuring that that happens. I, I think the question there is, I mean, the, the current OECD initiative affects the larger multinationals. The question is whether the Isle of Man then chooses to run ahead of that and says this is this is the direction that the world debate is going. So you know, do we then impose taxes on on just small domestic companies at some point, presumably after the current? Uh, energy cost crisis has, has settled down um, and I think there is an agenda there to say actually it is fair that you know companies of all sorts pay some tax. And, and undoubtedly it is. Uh, one of the, I, I felt anyway, surprising omissions um, from this whole uh, discussion on, on raising government income uh, was rates which uh, seems um, Depending on who you speak to, I did uh, an interview with uh, the Treasury Minister in which he, he strenuously denied that rates reform was off the table. It's just it wasn't a priority and was unlikely to come forward in the next few years. Yes, it's not off the table, um, but nobody can see it anywhere. <laughs> yes. So if it's, off the ta- if it's not off the table, and it's, but it's not a priority and it's not going to happen for the next few years, it's hardly going to happen in an election year because rates reform is undoubtedly going to be an unpopular thing with a a large proportion of the population. In some areas, yeah. Mm. And I think the whole local government aspect of this radical new future has been overlooked, or deliberately as perhaps. Um, You know, the the role of local authorities in regeneration, um, in, in kind of green policies, community developments and so on. Um, So it's, it's obviously politically tricky territory. So but if they're going to be radical and bold, I think they need to take that into the mix as well because the rating system is arguably very unfair. The current local authority structure is arguably inefficient and ineffective, and that doesn't mean the big guys take over the little guys, but it needs to be reviewed quite radically, I think. Yes, and I think I would agree with you, despite my, my other employment working for a, a medium-sized local authority. Um, I, I think, yes, it's, it, there's no doubt that, uh, that there is more that could be done there. But mm. maybe, maybe it's because they, they recognise they're already taking fairly bold uh, steps mm. uh, that may prove to be unpopular. That uh, there's only so much mm. that you can reasonably bite off at any one time. Yes, you can't fight on too many fronts at one time. Perhaps. Interestingly, uh, on on the, the this increase of population, clearly uh, many people in the Isle of Man are struggling to find um, uh, homes. They're, they're, they're struggling to afford to pay for the rents or, or, or the mortgages, whatever are required. Um, I have been pressing the chief minister ever since this uh, uh, 100,000 by uh, new po- uh, population by uh, 2037 ever since this was announced okay how many houses are going to be built on greenfield sites and it is fair to say it's the one question that is guaranteed to get the heckles up of the uh, political establishment at the moment uh, they are very very keen to push the idea of brownfield site development and to be fair they seem to have some pretty good ideas and and plans in place to actually start delivering 
uh, where previous governments have, have failed in relation to brownfield development. But inevitably, there are going to be some uh, greenfield uh, developments that have to be to, to, to fit in all these new uh, homes. And it is surely the obvious question, if you're talking about population increase, how many can be accommodated within brownfield regeneration? How, how many, if any, would be required for, for greenfields? Um, and that's the kind of further information, that's the kind of detail that's missing here. Um, you would expect somebody to have done some estimates, at least, about capacity um, to answer those questions. And I think without more information like that, I don't see how Timwell can give this a complete green light. I'm not saying, I, on the other hand, I don't think they should just push it into the long grass because it is, it's addressing and, well, it's answering, asking, sorry, some, some very big questions about our future. But I think it needs a lot more work about um, where do the people go? What does that mean for the look of our towns and countryside? I mean, if Douglas is going to be completely regenerated, you know, some people like Douglas, as it is, sort of, um, would it mean it would Douglas look completely different? Uh, there was some talk at the government conference about maybe new towns or certainly new villages. And what would it look like? You know, and, and I suspect that someone has done this calculation, um, but I suspect that they are not awfully keen on on oh. having the headline figure of two thousand new homes on greenfield oh. sites. Um, I mean, I. I I equally believe that they, they are very serious about uh, getting brownfield development off the ground. And there are loads of sites, as, as certainly I know, because I was minister trying to get some of these developed mm. in, in relatively short periods of time when I was in infrastructure. Um, there are lots of sites um, which are effectively sitting in a fairly derelict condition, uh, which could be developed um, and, and certainly uh, the, I detected from Kate Lord Brennan's presentation um, about you know, how they were going to deliver this, that, that they do seem to have a plan. You know, the Manx Development Corporation uh, being established now for mm. about 12 months, it seems to have some pretty good ideas about how uh, it can work to develop uh, brownfield sites. So, uh, yeah, um, it's possible that... A, you know, the, the majority of the, the people who are required for the bold vision uh, could be housed within existing um, uh, sort of uh, residential areas. Yes, but that is the sort of information we, the public, are entitled to, I think. Um, the other issue, of course, is, is this, this proposal, and again, a very bold, radical proposal for the Isle of Man that you actually put quite a lot of... of public reserves, government reserves, public money into commercial projects and developments that would then inspire um, or trigger a wave of private sector. So, you know, the government would be leading the way that would send a message of confidence out to the markets. Um, well, how much, where's the tipping point there? You know, there must be, I know there are, there's talk of an initial fund of 100 million. Do they think that's going to be enough? You know, what's been the experience in, in similar communities elsewhere? Um, because it, it, it's, it's kind of a leap of faith. It is build it and they will come, and that may have worked in other places. But it needs more information around that, more evidence 
and perhaps a bit of thought about the alternatives to this vision. It's presented as a kind of the only show in town. There are no alternatives. Well, there are alternatives. They may not be palatable, but let's have, if we're going to have a proper debate, you need to look at the options. Yes, and um, do you think Tynwald will present, uh, backbenchmen, non-Comin members, will present some of these options when the debate takes place? I don't know. I mean, that, that's the, the big question is what the response to the consultation on this has been, what the kind of perceived public mood is on this, and then what the mood of the backbenchers will be. Because the Council of Ministers and the Chief Minister in particular have really nailed their colours to this mast. I mean, he, he has really been fronted this one up and, and almost made, not quite his personal project, but, you know, he's really committed to it. If Tim will kick it into touch, um, that really dents his status and authority, I think. So I wouldn't be surprised if they asked for more information. They just have to make sure that that isn't a kicking it into the long grass exercise. And of course, the other apparently radical uh, element, we're certainly told to believe that it is radical, is uh, a 35% reduction in greenhouse gases um, or greenhouse gas emissions um, by 2030 which is seven years time um, how, how radical uh, would you say that actually is I'm not an, at all an expert on, on this area but I mean the message I got from the government conference which I guess is obvious to a lot of people now is that the old argument about you know the cost of sustainability has has faded away now because sustainability is actually cheaper given the world that we're living in so I think that I think the path to those targets will be easier now politically and in terms of the public um, because you know we can see that actually being self-sufficient or more self-sufficient having alternative sources of energy just makes sense in a very unstable world certainly relying on on gas uh, from Russia and oil from the Middle East uh, is, is becoming a less uh, secure um, um, option than, than perhaps it was when d similar discussions may have been being had 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, some of the issues that remain are, um, they're talking about, you know, increasing um, the Isle of Man's own renewables. Um, to what extent does that include kind of onshore wind, um, which would be, I think, quite an issue. Maybe it's all directed at offshore wind, but I, I think that's a could be quite a, an interesting issue. And of course, insulation, insulating homes, was always seen as a very quick, easy win, and it's still seen as a quick, easy win. It's just uh, we we don't yet seem to have managed or government doesn't yet mm. seem to have managed to have worked out exactly how to achieve this quick, easy win. Yes. I think one of the things to come out of this debate is that it's, it's kind of exposed that, that the island has fallen behind in various areas when for years we were convincing ourselves that we were doing really well and the Isle of Man had the best public services and we were this, that and the other. Um, which makes you wonder, well, how did that happened despite all the grand strategies and plans in the past because us kind of more senior people do remember a lot there have been lots of bold plans in the past 
maybe not quite this bold, but economic strategies. I remember Terry Groves leading a, the Central Economic Strategy Unit decades ago, came up with a very good comprehensive plan. I would guess that 90% of that just went straight on the shelf and didn't go anywhere. So we've had all these bold strategies in the past. Very few, if any, have gone anywhere. The question is, what's different this time? Lots to think about there, and there's still time to feed back to government on the economic strategy. For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn, Goromayo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>